still Jesus says, trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Rely on me. Count on me. Lean on me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. And he says this to us as well. Heaven is a real place. Trust me. Trust me. I approach this subject in some ways with a little bit of hesitation, wondering how relevant the subject matter is going to be to folks who will be listening, on one hand. On the other hand, here's what I know. Sooner or later, this subject matter is going to be front and center in your life, in my life. Either we've gotten a diagnosis from a doctor, we've had a near miss on a lane change or an intersection in San Antonio, or there is somebody we love more than words could ever express that we don't want to live the rest of our lives without. But it looks as if, it looks as if they're not going to be here for much longer. It looks like that last enemy that Jesus called death, the last enemy is death is about to come knock at the door of the one that I don't want to live my life without. Then all of a sudden, we start pulling from any source we can get it. So what about heaven? Where, where are they going? Where, where are they going? Where will I go? What's it like? What do you do in heaven? Play a harp and sit on a cloud and stare off into nothing? Tell me some more about heaven. And as followers of Jesus, as believers, as ones who have accepted the Word of God, the written Word of God, our Bibles as our, as our roadmap, our constitution, our instruction manual, whatever you, all of the above, we, we want to find out what the Bible has to say about that place called heaven, that place called the Father's house. So here's... here's how we'll land on this this morning. Some of you, this is just, this can be real front and center. This can be real close. It can be right now. But for those of you who, it's, you know, you're, you're I, I remember, I mean, I, I remember feeling this. Lord, will you just please, I, want to, I believe in the second coming. I, I want you to come again, but just not before I get married. You know, I, I just, I would just like to be married. I just, you know, it's, tell me some more about heaven, but, but I have some more living I want to do down here. That, that's, that's very understandable. That's, that's got to be okay with the Lord. But if that's, if that's where you are, it, it doesn't mean you're unspiritual or, you know, you're not in fellowship with the Lord. It just means file this. File these. Hang on. Write these references down. File this because the day will come. When, when you're going to want to know, Jesus, can I trust you with those I love? Can, can I trust you for my own life when it looks as if death is at hand or death has happened? Now, I want you to go with me. There are just so many places in the New Testament that, that give us insight into 
the rest of our lives. You know, it's this thing of eternal life it doesn't start when we go through the pearly gates or we, we die now and go to heaven. We're, we're eternally living right now. For God so loved the world, Jesus said, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but would have, would have everlasting life, unending life, life that has no ending point. It's like a river that you don't know where it started and you don't know where it's going. It's just an unending flow of life. That's what he says we have when we put our trust in Jesus. So we close our eyes in physical death, but that doesn't mean that, that we've stopped living. We go right on living, and it's an eternal kind of living. It's just at a different street address and just in a different and even more complete way. I remind you of that wonderful section in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, where Jesus is, is giving this to, to his men, giving this to the disciples, and as he gives this information to them, he's giving it to us. He's leaving. He is about to die. Jesus, 33 years old, in the prime of his life, is fixing to die. But the way that he faces death is devoid of any kind of uncertainty or hesitation or fear or wonderment. He begins to describe where he's headed, what he's going to be doing as if he was talking about Monday morning or Thursday afternoon. It was vivid. It was real because he came from heaven, lived on this earth, and now he's going back to heaven. And he begins to tell his men, you don't need to worry about this. You don't need to let your hearts get all stirred up and troubled. And John 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled, he said. You believe in God, you trust in God, and then he says, you believe also in me. You trust in me. Just as you've trusted God, you, you trust me with this, with this matter of where I'm going and where you'll be going when death comes. So he says, he describes this as if he's just stating a matter of fact, and he is because he's seen it. Because he's been there and he came from there. He's talking about a place that exists, that is real, that is tangible, that he knows is there. None of the rest of us have seen it, but he says it's real and it's there and it's where I'm going. In my father's house are many dwelling places, many places to live. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And folks, that's a hint into what the rest of our lives would be like. On the other side, when the last enemy of physical death has been defeated in our lives, we go to a real place. It, 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 it's not Eastern mysticism. It, it, it's not some brand of, of, um, of uh, uh, Buddha, uh, Buddhism, or where you, you, you just you keep coming back into these reincarnations, and, and the reason you do that is so you can keep trying to get more of this karma matter, this bad matter off of your soul. And, and you know, if you don't get much of it, you're liable to come back as a cat. Or you might do a little better and might come back as a dog. And you might come back a little better as a giraffe. And you might come back together as an alligator. You might come back together. What, a, what kind of hope is that? You just get the karma matter off. You may come back as some kind of bug. <laughs> Jesus is saying, you're not coming back as something else. You continue on in the life that you left this life from. And you are going to a real place. It's a place called my father's house. And if it's my father's house, I'm arranging it through what I'm doing for you on the cross and my taking your sins to the deepest 
part of the sea of forgetfulness that they won't be on your list anymore. And I'm bringing you into my Father's house so that you will be my brothers and sisters. You, you will be children of God in my Father's house. There are plenty of places to live, he says. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. He, he wasn't leaving this life to go and move into some state of numbness, some state of getting absorbed back to the great nothingness of the universe. Big deal. Who wants that? But I guess it's better than living a life that has known nothing but difficulty and pain. That's bad. Just to have some way to get out of that kind of a life, regardless of what the next step would be, seems to be perhaps more desirable, but Jesus is saying it can, be made way, it can be way better than that. I'm going to prepare a place for you. In other words, when I leave here, I'm going to begin to do some things, work, prepare, get set up for you. Because the way that I'm going, I'm preparing it is the way for you to come. I go to prepare a place for you. I believe from that we'd get the instruction that heaven is not a place where you just sit on a cloud and you strum a harp and you, you know, don't really do anything, you just, but you, you, know, you eat all you want and not get fat. And, you know, all these, all these you know, fairy tale make-believe things. Jesus is saying heaven is a place where, where there is work that is done. There are preparations that are being made. It, it's it's a um, place called my father's house, and as I go there, I'm going to be getting it ready for you. Now, the idea is that it won't be a generic treatment of father to children. It will be a very specific relationship of the God of all creation with each one of his children. He doesn't say in my father's house there are many bunkhouses. There are many places for everybody to sleep under great big tent. The idea is there are many places for each individual human person who's come to know Christ as Savior, who's now a part of the family of God, for you to live. To live. In my Father's house, many dwelling places. We're not so I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will come again. I'm leaving you now, but I'm coming again for you so that where I am, there you may be also. Folks, we don't have to have the architectural drawing of heaven to know it's going to be good. We don't have to have the interior designer's color scheme in order to know it'll be nice. All we need to know is that it is the place where Jesus is. So that where I am, there you may be also. Now, he is the one who, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it is said of him, the Son of Man came for this very purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's why... John, in Revelation, would be able to record the vision when he heard the voice of God speaking in this vision about heaven, that he himself, God himself, shall dwell among the people, his people, in this place called the Father's house, in this place called heaven. It's where God will live. It is where he will be seen, he will be known, he will be felt. And it says that he himself will wipe away every tear from every eye and there shall no longer be any more dying or mourning or tears or pain the former things have been passed away have passed away and god says i'm making all things new for Jesus to say, or to be said of Jesus, that he came for this very purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. It stands to reason from that statement, 
for us to draw the solid, rock-hard conclusion that in this place called heaven, there are no works of the devil. That there, there is nothing, there is nothing that can cause death. There is nothing that can cause pain. There is nothing that can cause mourning or tears because those things are not allowed. The former things have passed away. Now, folks, listen, I'm telling you, the skeptics will say, well, how do you know? How do you know? How do you know it? So let me tell you something, skeptic, sir, ma'am, Ph.D., Phi Beta Kappa. How do you know it isn't true? How do you know? How do you know it isn't true? When Jesus came and he specifically said, I came out of heaven. I am the bread that has come down out of heaven. The fulfillment of the manna that the children of Israel would eat in the wilderness. That was a foreshadowing of Jesus. Where did the manna come from? It didn't grow up from the ground. It came down out of heaven. And they gathered and they collected and fed them for all of those years. He said, that was a prophecy of me. I am the bread that has come down out of heaven. In other words, I know heaven. That's my father's house. You're talking about where my home is. My home is not this world. My home is not Jerusalem. My home is not by the Sea of Galilee. My home is in my father's house. I know it's there. I've seen it. And I've come for the purpose of taking you home with me. You You just slice down through the reason Jesus came. He came to, yes, to present principles and to teach ethics and to speak of social equality and all of those things, admirable qualities. But the bottom line of why the Savior came from the Father's house to planet Earth was for the purpose of gathering the Father's children and taking them home in my Father's house. There are many places to live. Now you think about the ones that you know and you love, that you've stood by the casket, you've been to the cemetery, you've had to write out maybe the obituary and and the sorrow in your heart that you wouldn't be seeing them again or hearing their voices again. They wouldn't be showing up your doorstep. There, there, won't be, there wouldn't be more trips that you'd be taking together. Where'd they go? How are they doing? Will we ever be together again? I've got to tell you. There is the answer in the affirmative. There is the answer in the superlative to each of those questions. Because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. He who believes in me, though he or she dies, yet shall they live again. And not live down here necessarily. Because he said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have stress. You're going to have persecution. You're going to have problems. But you be of good cheer. I have overcome the world meaning the world couldn't take me out. The world couldn't hold me down. The world and everything it represents couldn't keep me in the grave and in the tomb. I have overcome the world, and therefore I have the power, I have the authority to take all my father's children home with me and into the father's house. How do you know? How do we get there? How how do we know the way? That was a question. Jesus said, I'm leaving, and here's where I'm going. I'm going to a real place. As I told you last week, he used the word that that we we get our word uh, topography from. Topos, a literal, actual place. I'm going to a place to prepare a place for you. 
How do we get there? One of the disciples said. Well, I'm doubting that it's true. But how do we get here? Get, how, how do we get from this earth to the Father's house? And Jesus answered it very specifically. Wasn't, he wasn't trying to be narrow. He was just trying to tell the truth. He said, I am the way. I am the way from San Antonio to heaven. I am not a way. It's not multiple choice. It's not you on your doing your best and so forth because none of that will ever be good enough. So this is, this is, this is incredibly precise and specific. It literally reads, I am the way. The definite article, the, is very clear, quoting Jesus in this statement. I'm the way. I'm the way to the Father's house. You don't need to look any further. You don't need to stress anymore. You don't need to check any of their alternatives. You don't need to bore a hole in yourself trying to get up enough energy to do enough right and good for God so that you might make it to heaven. I am the way. And, and where your trust is in the way, you, you don't have to worry about it not being the right way. Because he said, I am the way, and I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No man comes unto the Father. No woman, no person comes to the Father except by way of me. Now, folks, that's why, that's why it's so urgent that we tell the truth about who Jesus is to those we have an opportunity to tell him about, to tell about him, ones we care about. You miss Jesus and you miss heaven. Everybody's going to live, to be created in the image of God means that we're going to live somewhere forever. Elvis still lives. Every human being who has ever lived is alive somewhere today. That immortality of the soul, different than the mortality of a dog or a horse or an animal. There is a part of you that will never die. That's why Jesus said, those who believe in me will not perish. Perish. That's the other place. That's the place called hell. The place of eternal living, but it's eternal perishing. It, it, is the, it is the place that is the perfect vacuum of God. There is no God. There is no good. There is no restraint on Satan who presides over hell. The perfect vacuum for evil. The perfect absence of Satan. The perfect absence of sorrow is the place called heaven. It is the place of eternal living, but living with the fullest expression of the blessings of life. You say, well, I don't like that. I don't like that there would be a place called hell and that there's a place called heaven and Jesus is the only way. Then my dear friend, you just have to come to grips with the fact you didn't make the rule. The preacher didn't come up with the guidebook. This right here. This right here. And it's not spoken out of hatred. It's not spoken out of animosity. It would say very clearly, but when the kindness of God our Savior 
And his love for mankind appeared. He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. He came to rescue the world from the consequences of our individual sins. He didn't have to. Nobody made him. He didn't owe it to the human race. But he loves the human race. And he loves you. And he loves you enough to make sure and make a way so that you don't have to spend an eternity away from him, but you can spend an eternity with him. I am the way. So to the question this morning needs to be, are you trusting Jesus Christ as the way when the time comes and death is knocking at your door? And you can't scare death away. And you can't get a good lawyer to sue for peace and back death. It's, it's, it's time. It's time. It's your turn. In that moment, who or what are you trusting to take you from this place to the place of eternal life, eternal living? Jesus speaks of as the Father's house. It doesn't mean, listen, it doesn't mean that you've memorized the Gospel of John. It doesn't mean that you've been baptized 400 times in the, in the Jordan River or that you've trotted through every church in San Antonio and been nice to all the preachers. Not a preacher, and not a river, there's not an ethnicity. There's not a geographic location that will ever take the place of the shed blood of Jesus Christ for your sin. That's why, that's why it is, it is incumbent upon each one of us to come to grips with the truth where Jesus says, I am the way, not a way. I am the way. Everybody can come. No limits on who can choose. There's only one way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, so settle that in your heart. And, and folks, there'll be a place in, in the uh, book of Romans where, where Paul will say that it's, it's the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who cries out, works within our spirits, confirming that we are a child of God. You, you have joy of knowing that heaven is your home. Not guessing, not hoping, not wishing, not trying hard. It's knowing. Because the spirit of Jesus is speaking to your spirit, bearing witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. Heaven is not your own. You belong to the Father. I'll just say to you, if that hadn't happened, if that's not working in you, then talk that over with Jesus. Lord, I want to know that my home is heaven. I want to know that when my time comes, I'm ready to go. To which to your heart, the wonderful loving spirit would say, and here, this is it. This is two words. Trust me. Trust me, Jesus. Trust me. Not complicated, not rocket science, not, not rocket science, not perfect moral behavior in every point, but it is the singular focus of your heart that I'm not trusting in my ability to try harder. I'm not trusting in some denomination. I'm not trusting in what my family did. I'm not trusting how much good I've tried to do. I'm trusting in you Jesus alone by yourself for what you did for me I trust you and I'm trusting you to take me you know if you had never been to a place if you don't know how to get to that place it, 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 it's not just it's not just in another geographic location it's in another total dimension If you don't know how to get there, 
you're going to have to have somebody come and pick you up and take you there. To which Jesus said, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. I'll come get you when it's your time. I'll come get you. But listen, if you've cussed his name, if you violated his heart with your lifestyle, chosen to just, just thumb, you know, put a thumb in your nose against God, and then all of a sudden, I'm just going to trust somewhere, some ways, anybody, something that I'm going to end up in the right place. Then you've taken what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. He knew everything that would be said, everything that would be done. He took in his body your sins, and he bled and died for your sin. So that when he knocked on the door of your heart, you respond, God, I don't know that much about you, and I know I hadn't lived a perfect life, and I know there's junk in my back. I know all of that. But God, have mercy on me. Jesus, the best I can, I'm putting my trust in you. That is the cry. Even from the deathbed, even from the last waning moments of life, that some way, some whosoever, he said, will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, folks, listen, that's not just getting saved from drugs, not just getting saved from the junk of this world. That kind of saved means, means saved and taken into heaven where there is no devil, where there is no flesh, where there is nothing that can cause any more weeping and crying and pain and sorrow. The full expression of being saved, being delivered, is the place where we're delivered from our fallen flesh in heaven. Or we're delivered from all the stuff that this world and Satan in this world can bring against us. Jesus said, I'm going to my Father's house. And I'm preparing a place for you. Because I want you to be where I am and I want you to have a place there. So that where I am, there you may be also. Now, I don't know necessarily who needed to Hear all that, but if the shoe fits, if the shoe fits, press into that. Press into it. If, if you say, I don't, I don't know that there is a Jesus, I know that I can really believe, then ask him to show himself to you. Ask him to prove to you that he's real. He's not afraid of questions. He's not afraid of ones who would even mock or revile out of ignorance. That was the Apostle Paul before the Damascus Road. Two-thirds of your New Testament written by a former skeptic, doubter, and all of the above. He can handle the questions. But even the questions are an expression of faith, though it's microscopic. God, I don't even know if you're there. But if you're there, help me to know. He, he wired you, so he knows how to speak to you. He knows how to cause you to know that something is there, somebody is there. How many of you in this room this morning, before you came to know the Lord, prayed a prayer, a cry, maybe not even call it a prayer, but it, was, it came out of you like that. God, I already know if you're real. Would you raise your hand? Raise them up high, high and hold them. Okay, that, that's a whole bunch of folks in this room. Now look, he, he didn't strike you dead. He didn't heal your lips shut. He didn't blow out all four tires of your car. He showed you somehow his mercy and his grace and his love towards you. And now we look back and we say, Lord, I can't believe I didn't see it. But he, even when we didn't see it, his mercy was still operating toward us. And that's still operating today. I, I want to, let me give you just a, a couple other passages for you to look at about heaven. First Peter. See if you can find First Peter relatively quickly. It's one of those short books. 
in the New Testament. One, chapter one and verse three. Now let me give you a little background about the writing of Peter, of these letters, these two letters by the apostle Peter. It is generally believed that the tide is beginning to turn throughout the Roman Empire against the Christians, primarily against the ones who would refuse to say Caesar is Lord, Caesar is God, Caesar is the one I worship, as opposed to what is the Christian confession, Jesus is Lord. They were given the option of keeping their businesses, keeping their families intact, basically keeping their lives unmolested by a hostile government if they would make that change in their confession. All you got to say is, Caesar is Lord. The king is Lord. But thousands upon thousands upon thousands of single adults, families, family units, entire church congregations would not deny the Lord Jesus. And as a result of that, the fangs of a brutal Roman empire turned against the church. Their businesses were stolen, if not pillaged. Their financial resources taken over. Families were imprisoned. Husbands separated from wives, children from parents. And you remember the account from history that the Roman government made sport of the church. Trained warriors called gladiators would war against the Christians. They would turn starved wild beasts against them. They would set them on fire. The Appian Way, which was a major road from Rome to one of the, the seas around the Roman area, was lit, it was set at night by the flaming, burning bodies of Christians. Those were the street lamps. It was to that group, the ones who were headed in that direction or some who had already experienced it, Simon Peter writes these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, mark these words, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. There's a salvation coming. There's a deliverance coming. There's a rescue coming. But the rescue may come through the venue a fiery persecution and the loss of human life. But what Peter says is, what the Roman government doesn't know about you, God knows about you. And you need to know what God knows about you. And what he knows about you is that you are not a slave. You are not a stranger. You are an heir. You are an heir. Paul would say an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. They may take the stuff in this life. They may even destroy your, your physical companionship. But here's what hasn't changed. The God who is your father will still be on his throne when all of the Caesars, have been rotting and decaying and are gone forever from the human course. And you will be living forever as a child, as an heir, 
as a joint heir with Jesus Christ, an heir of the Father God. And here's what he has said about you. There's an inheritance reserved for you that is imperishable, imperishable. Can't be burned up, can't be rusted out, can't be taken. It's imperishable, it's undefiled, it hasn't been touched with dirty hands. It's pure and it will not fade away and it is reserved in heaven for you. Folks, there have been folks in the, living this life, some could stand and raise your hand and you, you wouldn't do it, but you could if you were pressed. Following Jesus in this life has cost you some things. Some business opportunities, some company positions, but some family relationships and some friend relationships and some things that one way or another affected your heart. You felt it when it happened to you. Things that were taken from you. Things that were kept from you. But here's the amazing news. Your heavenly Father never missed one second of any of those things that you were going through. His pledge to you, his promise to you is, though some things you won't inherit in this life, there is an inheritance prepared and reserved for you that not the devil, not the demons, not the government, not anybody can take from you. It is reserved, protected by the power of God for you in heaven, in heaven, in heaven, in heaven. You say, oh, preacher, that heaven's a long way off. How do you know it's a long way off? How do we know? James will say, your day, your life is like a vapor. Here one day, gone the other. Instead of us saying, I'm going to do this next year, and I'm going to do that next year, going to build this, buy that, build, build this other thing in the coming day. James just says, you, here's what you better say. God willing. God willing, I'll go and I'll do this and that. And then he says, because your life is a vapor. It, it's fleeting. It's passionate. Well, so so th- 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 that doesn't mean that there aren't things to enjoy in this life. We're not supposed to feel guilty. He's given us all things freely to enjoy. Paul will say that, even though he had many of those things taken away. But we're to live it in such a way. Understand that I'm kin. I'm kin to the God of all creation. I'm a child of the King. Now, I may not live right now or drive right now what you would expect a Saudi prince's kid to drive. But I'm going to tell you, This book right here that God has used to shape my life and give me instructions, this book tells me that everything that can be seen of my life in this life is not all there is to me. I got a place in heaven. Got a place in heaven. Got a home in heaven. And and, and there, there are no stepchildren there. There are no employees there, just children. And Paul will say, the Spirit, the Spirit of God will bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God, and here's what will start coming out of you. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Who who has the authority? Who has the authority to call an earthly father daddy? Now, Now, I understand there can be some allowances made because of the closeness in certain situations. But generally speaking, that term of endearment is also a loving term of entitlement to the one who speaks it. 
is reserved for the one who is blood kin. Yes, but you know what is amazing about all of this? None of, the, none of us were naturally born children of God. We're, we're creations of God. We received Jesus to them to receive him. To them he gave the right to be called the children of God. Yes. But in order for that to take place, there had to be an adoption ceremony. We weren't natively, naturally born into the family of God. The scripture will say that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. We have been adopted into the family of God. Now see, and what little we can grasp about adoption, many of you in here who, who, have, who have adopted a child, who have been adopted, you can appreciate this. But for the rest of us, it, it, it's something, it's a concept that we, we have to, is that what that means? What it means is, bottom line, you were picked out because you were wanted. There was something about you in the heart of the Father, in the heart of the one who would adopt you, that would say, I choose you because I want you. Because I love you. Amen. So here we are, adopted children. Millions of us. Maybe billions of us. And the Father has been preparing from the time that Jesus left. Has been preparing a house big enough and well done enough that each one of his adopted children, when they get to the Father's house, will somehow feel like that spot belongs to me. That's my spot. That's my place. That's my place. Can I give you one more passage for you just to chew on a little bit. So what are we going to be like up there? We touched a little, bit, a little bit on last week. What are we going to be like physically, appearance-wise? Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. Paul writes, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 21. Who will transform the body of our humble state as we live in it now on the earth, human body, into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Now that's worth sitting with for a little bit. There are two different words, at least two, that can be translated from the Greek New Testament into English using the word transform. One of them is the word we get our word metamorphosis from. Caterpillar crawls out on a limb, spins a cocoon, a little bit of time passes, something chews the end out of the cocoon, out pops the other side, a butterfly or a moth, something completely different. That's not the word used here. This is a word that speaks specifically of a transformation but the transformation maintains the primary shape and elements of what it was previously. It doesn't become something totally different. Transform the body of our humble estate into something that's conforming to the body of his glory. 
same looking body, same talking body, body moves. It's a body like Jesus had when Luke chapter 24, we mentioned that last week, they had locked the doors and barred the windows for fear of the Jews following the resurrection. And then all of a sudden, Jesus just appeared in the room. They recognized him, but they couldn't believe it was him because they had seen what he looked like before. They had seen him beaten. They had seen him bloodied. They had seen him in that weakened, horrible condition of his death. And here he is, right in front of them, eyes wide open, face full of color, standing upright, not stooped, not crippled. And he saw the fear on their faces, the shock on their faces. He said, what are you afraid of? A spirit, a ghost doesn't have flesh like I have or bone like I have. And they still couldn't handle it. The transformation, the transformation. I want you to hear this. Some of you who are struggling with, with knee issues or heart issues or, or, or whatever the medical condition may have been that has been the, the typical of your humble estate now. The power of God. The power of Jesus Christ to transform the body of your humble estate, no matter what the dimensions of that humility were, that humiliation were, and transfer it, transform it into conformity with the body of his glory. They, 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 the disciples, still in disbelief, still in shock. It was, it was a mixture of joy and shock. Here's the whole Jesus. Here's the strong Jesus, no longer on the cross. Amen. Amen. And he said, have you got, a, got anything to eat? And they handed him a piece of broiled fish. And he stood there in front of them and ate it. To teach us that heaven is not a place occupied by disembodied spirits. Heaven is a real place with a real street address, real buildings, actual people, actual location, and the ones who are there are absent of any of the residue of the works of the devil. That's why there's nothing that causes anybody to cry, nothing that causes anybody to mourn, nothing that can bring death. The former things have passed away. God is in charge. He's your father. He dictates policy, and the policy is all love, and it is all good, and it is all joy. C.S. Lewis comments on heaven in the short line, joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy. Joy. The fruit of the Spirit, Paul said, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. If it is the work of the Spirit that is fully operational in everybody in heaven, there's no more flesh, there's no more devil, there's no more temptation. It's just nothing but the operation of the Spirit. So there's love, joy, peace, patience. It may not be so difficult for us in some cases to recognize the form of some who opposed us in this life, but who also knew Jesus, or some others who knew Jesus, but they just, they, we just had a hard time getting along with them. They were all, seemed like always on our case. But when we get to glory... And in the father's house, and we see that knuckle-headed family member headed your way down the street of gold, and they've you've been in your face and on your case and you're, all of that, and you never could be. Maybe it was a father who never felt like you measured up, and always or some family member was down on you. What in the world are we going to do when they have been set free? I have been set free of whatever it was that would cause that to be. 
difficult and at odds. And so they come not to get in my face. They come to hug my neck and say, glad you're here. Been missing you. Been counting the days till you'd get here. We'd step back maybe and say, Daddy? Brother? Is that you? Folks, this is not just a physical transformation. It's the heart transformation. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is is liberty, freedom, freedom, freedom rules heaven. Let's finish with this. And I, I'm, not, I'm not picking on anybody because I've, I've, I've been here. I mean, I've been so fussed at. I've some folks saying, well, you just... Pastor, you're just, you're just trying to turn us into charismatics. You're just trying to turn us into charismatics. Just, you just, you know, you do, we just need a little more reverence in our worship is what we need, a little more reverence. And then I read Psalm 148, 149, and 50, 150, and then I read, oh, get to reading in Revelation. And got 24 elders around the throne. Somebody starts blessing the name of Jesus, and the, and the 24 elders eject themselves from their thrones. They're face down before the main throne and they're throwing their crowns at the big throne. That doesn't sound real reverent to me. But you know what? Sometimes it all is talk about I can't raise my hands and I can't really be happy in the Lord and I, I can't show too much emotions is because we're just scared of people. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not I'll just, just don't clap. Just don't clap. We're just afraid of what she's going to say or what he might say or what I might be thought of if I did this. My brother, my sister, you're going to lose that when you exit the casket and enter glory. Freedom rules, freedom. And the Lord will say he inhabits the praises of his people. He, he, he loves it, and so he'll talk about cymbals and drums and flutes and, and, and dancing and all. And you just, you just find a whole bunch of that in the book of the Revelation about heaven. Now, they say, well, I'm not there, Pastor. Well, that's fine. We ain't in heaven yet, you know. But when the Lord takes us from here to there, there are all going to be some things that we thought we just could never do, that we just could never do, we just could never do. That when the freedom of God blows up some of these man-made and human-created restrictions, and we, we become the joyful, free person that he intends us to be, we're liable to surprise ourselves. <laughs> we're liable to surprise ourselves, and I guarantee you, Cherry Burris and Billy Hobbs, they're going to be saying, I told you, I told you, this is what heaven's going to be like. Billy Hobbs couldn't sing a note. I don't know if Christy's here this morning. But, you know, great football player, great lover of Jesus, all those things, part of our temple. I'd sit there on the platform, and I'd listen to the boy sing, and I'd thought, my goodness, Lord. You know, I can't sing worth a hoot either, but, I mean, Billy was just really bad. He was bad. He was bad. And he, his big verse was that everything that has breath, praise the Lord. So notes and tunes and, you know, then. I, I, I just kind of imagine that old, that old Billy has got a Pavarotti kind of a tenor right now. He just, he's just belting it out, just blessing the Lord in freedom. He'd do it bad. He'd do it bad. He, he was free bad. He was bad free. But how great would that be to be good free? You know? All right, I know some of you thought, Pastor, we kind of lost him here a minute. You know, we can, spend, we can spend so much time thinking about how we can stay alive in this life, how we can make it in this life. You do your finger like that, and in terms of eternity, that's how long we got our street address in this, on this planet. The forever is in the Father's house, where Jesus is, and where all the brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone on before us now are that great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, cheering us on, daring us to trust God, to believe God, to not quit, to not give up as they had to trust God. So may we be just that. You know, this is the only time we're ever going to have the opportunity to believe God down here.
This is the only time we're going to have the opportunity to trust him when it looks like things could go in a number. Because up there, faith has turned to sight. This is the only time that the highest praise is always going to come from the lowest valley. So when we choose to bless him and we choose to praise him and we choose to honor him, even though things seem to be speaking the opposite in the natural, this is the time. And we'll never have this time again to prove to the universe how worthy he is of our trust and our praise. So he says to us, trust me, trust me. Lord, thank you for the time together today. Thank you for these words from your word. And I pray, Lord, that you'll just take them way beyond what this voice has attempted to say or to explain or to express. Write these truths powerfully by your spirit across our hearts. Settle within us great and deep faith and rest and confidence and peace in you. You have said as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. Oh, Lord, send us. Help us to know Help us to know that we're still here. We're not up there yet. We're still here because there are others that we're needing to be sent to. There's still things that we are to do in this life that we won't be able to do up there on this side of the river. Lord, call us into the place of great, loyal and deep, humble service, honoring your name, whatever form that takes that you lead us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.